Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello again from Cannes. It's Michael Leader here, once more in the Little White Lies flat in the old town of Cannes, sitting on the sofa, nice and cosy, with Adam Woodward today. Hi, good to be here. So we're very deep into the second week now. We've been here over seven days, and it feels like the festival's really cracking now. I would say it peaked last night with Mm -hmm. two pretty exceptional films, which I think even going into the festival, I was... I mean, they were right at the top of my most anticipated list, but both for me contained some amazing surprises. Mm. And, and I think, yeah, they've shot to the top of my list of, of the best films here. And, well, these two films are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino and then Parasite by Bong Joon-ho, which were scheduled back-to-back in the festival, making that Tuesday evening, you know, the eye of the storm almost of the whole festival. Yeah, you, you do tend to get this at Cannes where they programme... Just this one evening in in the fortnight that just seems to come to an, a crescendo of these amazing films, and I don't know. I think the festival was good initially, and and had it was very good over the weekend. I mean, we've covered a lot of the films um, that we've seen on here, but I think generally the competition's been really strong. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not been anything that I came out of thinking that was a real kind of waste of time or, mm-hmm. or, or just wasn't on the level. But yeah, I think these two have really taken things up a notch. And Maybe listeners have seen film Twitter en masse talking about the long queuing situation for Quentin Tarantino. We don't need to talk about that too much, but it was a, an easy two hours queuing and we were, well, I was one of the last people through the door. Yeah, there was a lot of elbow jostling mm. and uh, people not, not overly happy with, uh, with people saving seats for... Queue jumpers, queue all jumpers, sorts. Yeah, I think, that, you know, the thing with the can queuing system, it probably is quite nauseating hearing people whinge about it because it's such a privilege to come here and, and attend and see these films in this amazing setting but the can organizers i think i sense that they like the theatricality of it mm-hmm. and they want to create a bit of a storm and a bit of a buzz around around a film so once upon a time in hollywood was always going to be the hot ticket but they put it on in not the biggest screen in mm-hmm. the palais and uh i think probably under tarantino's uh, his kind of request they knew exactly what they were doing and making mm-hmm. sure that everyone really had to be there. And part of the theatre at all, of course, was Quentin Tarantino himself issuing a statement to the press, almost like the Russo brothers for Avengers Endgame, saying, please don't spoil the ending. I love cinema, so please can we preserve the cinematic experience of going into this film not fully knowing what's going to happen? Yeah, it was quite a short and sweet open letter that he put out, very much appealing to the critical and the masses here. But I don't know, I think 
there's something rings a bit hollow in that sentiment for me, especially when he sort of says in the in the statement, everyone put a lot of work and, and effort into this film, and it would be a shame for something to be taken away from that. And mm. I think that's slightly disingenuous because I think nobody goes in to make a bad film. Mm, nobody yeah. sets out to make something bad, and everyone w- will always put their kind of best effort into it. So I understand why he's done it. Mm. Unfortunately, we live in times where, for better and, and for worse, you know, I think people are quite sensitive about spoilers. I think there are people out there that are not just kind of, you know, anonymous trolls, but there are people who kind of write professionally about film that do spoil films yeah. and quite openly. It depends as well what who you're writing for and what the kind of audience is. Some of the trade magazines and papers out here, you read their reviews and they they are a lot more like, detailed and and they reveal more about the synopsis and the plot but that's exactly their prerogative Mm. and I think something which has crept in over the years through film and television fandoms which have been kind of growing and it's a shame to sort of see that situation where you're getting those fans being pitted against journalists who I think certainly for us we share Mm -hmm. people's enthusiasm and passion for these movies and we don't want to detract anything from people's enjoyment of them Mm -hmm. and I think Tarantino knows that so I don't really know what he was really trying to achieve by picking at that. Uh, well, what can we say about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood then? Where to start? The spoiler I think he's referring to is kind of teased, I think, slightly by the title of the film. Okay. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, on one level, you could maybe interpret it as a sort of homage to Once Upon a Time in the West mm-hmm. or Once Upon a Time in America, these films which he obviously has taken great inspiration from. But actually, I think it, it really neatly sets the tone for a a sort of fairy tale fantasy it's not so much a revisionist history it's just his interpretation of a specific period in time of this Mm, bygone era mm, of mm. of los angeles in 1969 the film takes place over the span of about six months Mm -hmm. and he really sort of immerses you in this world of movie making and hollywood Mm. at that time and you have leonardo dicaprio playing a sort of slightly over the hill TV western star Brad Pitt as his sort of best friend mm-hmm. and lackey and and, yeah. his, and stuntman although we don't really see him doing many stunts no the, the suggestion is that he used to be the stuntman now he's more the driver right yeah but they are paired together in this film actually amazingly the first time they've been on screen wow, together right and it seems fitting that it would be in a Tarantino movie but so yeah you sort of follow them on on this journey through kind of old Hollywood and and scenes play out at length and a lot of the time it's Leo as his character performing within films within the film and Brad is kind of going about his daily chores his routine really the film is his film I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it is told from his perspective and then in the background of course you have the very real life backdrop which Tarantino wove in people were very anxious about this I think it being what happened with the Manson family murders Mm -hmm. in August 1969 I think he handles that actually in a very interesting and perhaps unexpected way. Mm, Very unexpected. And I think we differ on how successful that is. Mm. But I think what we definitely agree on is this is such a rich film about Hollywood and TV and the period and all of Tarantino's fetishes from feet to filmmaking are in full display here. The production design all the way through of the period, it feels like the entire 
landscape of visual media of the time is represented in some way and you can just drink in the details but then also Tarantino as his later career has been more as almost a variety filmmaker and there are these scenes where characters show up for one scene or for to deliver a nice little dialogue or a conversation with one of the main actors and I think that's almost what I'd rather not if I was going in to watch this film, I'd rather that not be spoiled. That's something that's in the trailer. Yeah. The returning actors, perhaps, or one-scene cameos are really delightful in this. Yeah, I mean, there are people who turn up in this movie who you won't find on the IMDb credits. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like the fact he's bringing in people who've, who he's worked with previously, actors he just admires. He sort of builds this larger world, this Tarantino-verse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that goes down to the details of, as, as you said, some of the, the, the kind of movies he's referencing. Yeah. Not only that, but the sort of fake in-world movies that he creates, yeah. and, and even like the products and the brands, it mm-hmm. all—it feels very Pulp Fiction-y. I think in mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. I just think the performances in this are so so rich, and we know Leo is really good in these kinds of roles, and he's shown that with with Tarantino before. Brad Pitt, I think, is just such a great, almost a kind of like conduit for Tarantino's own. It's like a projection of how Tarantino would like to see himself mm-hmm. as this kind of old cowboy he's just such a cool character yeah. and he drifts through this movie in quite a kind of deliberate way you know you never feel like he's going off on these funny tangents that don't go anywhere actually a lot of what he does like, there's a scene where he sort of uh, crosses paths with a young hippie from the Manson family and that's a really interesting dynamic and relationship I think which Tarantino plays out and actually there's a lot of tension in some of those scenes but it all sort of works and, mm-hmm. and I think it builds this really surprising and, and actually quite poignant and tender finale Yeah, it, some people have compared it more to Jackie Brown in the sense that there is a texture of emotion and feeling to this film and I think that's Leonardo DiCaprio's performance as this, as you say, over the hill actor it, it, it does really care for the lot of the uh, the star who never was showing the vulnerability of the star and I've never seen Leo give a performance like that that is at once sort of tough, self-effacing, vulnerable but also very broadly comic at times it's a wonderful performance and it is at the heart of this this strange tone that this film has it's not as openly provocative or cartoonish as you'd maybe expect from Tarantino looking back at some of his more recent films from Kill Bill onwards Yeah this is very serious movie making mm. and it's, I think it's up there with Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and that kind of 90s heyday peak that he was in and it's got this amazing glow about it as well and, and it's just he captures that sort of almost omnipresent optimism and sunniness of not just I think Hollywood at that time but American culture, society, it feels like a, a dream of a movie in a way. Mm-hmm. And it is this fantasy that he plays out. Yeah, it's, I think, probably his most mature film. I mean, this is number nine for him. Yeah. He counts Kill Bill 1 and 2 as a single uh-huh. entity. So, And he's always said he would retire after the 10th. Right. This feels to me like it could have been a more, or perhaps would have been a more fitting swan song. Interesting. Um, well, it'd be very interesting to see how this goes down. There is the aspect we're not talking about, which I think would be fascinating to see how people respond to it because the movie lives or dies by that final act. Yeah, and the, the people have gone different ways on it here. I've spoken to so many people after the screening yesterday who completely see it differently to me. And I think that's great. How interesting, how exciting to have a movie that is divisive. I think for good reasons as well. Yeah. It's not divisive in the sense that it's 
schlocky or provocative or has this kind of nasty edge to it which I think some of his films do mm-hmm. people have compared this slightly to Inglorious Bastards and mm-hmm. that he's mm-hmm. he's trying to rewrite an infamous kind of piece of history it doesn't really quite do it justice well it's I guess listeners will be able to find out for themselves it's released very soon isn't it, over I think the it's summer. coming out in the UK I think it's coming out in July it's, yeah. it's, he's going back to his kind of showpiece summer release I think Hateful Eight was released in winter and yeah. still did quite well but I think this looks like a, a not just a return to form but should be one that I think a lot of people go and see so yeah I think it's one to look out for in the well, terrific and another film that we know will come out in the UK there isn't a date but we know it's been picked up for release is Parasite the Bong Joon-ho Korean satirical drama comedy mm. I guess we could call it that I'm a big fan of his work admittedly Okja might not have been his best that was here two years ago and then on Netflix afterwards but Snowpiercer the host Mother Memories of Murder he's one of the best filmmakers working today yeah he has gone back to Korea and I think back to slightly his roots in terms mm. of the, the kind of films and the mode of filmmaking he, he was in prior to his back to back English language films which were Snowpiercer and Okja so this is maybe not so much the host, but it's even probably some of his earlier work mm-hmm. before that. But it's a super dark and extremely funny uh, yeah. parable about greed and capitalism. I think sometimes movies about that subject can feel a little bit like the message is kind of too, is, is pushing the message a bit too hard on the viewer. What's so great about this is you could go into it just expecting a riotously kind of entertaining almost like genre movie Mm -hmm. and come away having experienced that and been satisfied just with that and there's obviously so many levels to it beyond that so yeah people can come into it and and experience different things I think there's there's a lot going on the character work I think is just sublime and performances it it centres around this family who are essentially living on the bread line. The opening scene sees them scrambling around the house trying to find Wi-Fi connection because the free one they've been stealing from like a local bakery or something mm-hmm. is just, they've just put a password on it. Yeah. And so it sets up this quite kind of comedic tone, but there's a there's a slight melancholy note mm-hmm. to it as well, I think, with this this family, which I think represent quite possibly a kind of typical Korean family unit. Um, there's been comparisons to something like Shoplifters, which yeah. won the Palm Door here last year. It is kind of like the evil twin, mm-hmm. I think, to Shoplifters, with a bit of maybe The Handmaiden, Park Chan Wook's. Well, someone this morning in. said it was almost similar to us, the Jordan Peele movie, and that social satire and upstairs downstairs relationship, yeah, yeah. as uh, well as, as we'll find as you go further in the plot, I suppose. In the English language world, in the, the UK film industry, in, in, in Hollywood, genres are so fixed. You go in and you know what a social drama will be, what a comedy will be, what a dark satire would be. But in Korea, it's uh, these filmmakers are just so creative and imaginative where a film can be everything at once. And a film like a dark satire can be directed with the panache of a big budget spectacle and this one is it's just a, it's so delightful moment to moment and as you say the writing performances are fantastic and it's so deeply funny and he knows when to switch gears and mm, he knows when mm. to turn up the level of whether it's the dramatic tension or the violence or there's an amazing scene in a storm in this where yeah. it just suddenly comes out of nowhere and it, and it becomes again this kind of operatic almost like what Paul Thomas Anderson does at the end of uh, Magnolia uh-huh. it's that level of like it almost feels quite fantastical and otherworldly and, and just really strange and watching the characters kind of wade through that is just fascinating and come out the other side and it's becomes this almost like a home invasion movie but where the people who are being invaded are, are somewhat 
in on it or at least they're, they're somewhat culpable for it I think we can say it's about them insinuating themselves into the lives of an upper class family yeah. I suppose but it, it's moment to moment the, the use of tension and suspense and farce and it can pull it all together to make a poignant poetic statement that isn't a sledgehammer social statement but maybe something deeper than that yeah, more I think, resonant I think in, the, in western cinema I think we are lacking filmmakers who can deliver this kind of social parable mm -hmm. as you say with this level of technical craft and panache I mean we've seen Ken Loach doing his usual thing here with uh, Sorry We Missed You which it's not a satire but mm -hmm. it's trying to deal with big very current social themes in a completely different way but equally there's just no there's nothing really new about what he's doing with that and there's nothing particularly interesting about it I think mm. either it feels like he's he's kind of in a very comfortable groove with what he's doing Bong is a filmmaker who really seems to push himself mm. you know his films feel so assured and so confident and he feels like he's completely in control of his craft and, and what he's trying to achieve but again so many surprising elements to this so many wonderful set pieces and just shots yeah I'm so excited that it's getting a UK release from Curzon Artificial Eye because Bong's previous two films Okja went straight to Netflix it did have a couple of screenings I think for awards consideration and then Snowpiercer after years of being in limbo for UK distribution finally limped onto streaming services this year or at the end of last year I mean I would say definitely check out those two mm -hmm. I think we've done The Host on this podcast before as a as film, film club. club yeah you know if you, if you haven't seen The Host that's definitely one to catch up with Mother I think as well mm -hmm. But luckily, all of his earlier films are available as well, I think, now. It's a better situation than it ever was, I think, to get, get on the bong train. So we only have a couple of days left, really. I think competition films today that we'll be seeing are the Xavier Dolan and Arnaud Deplachin films. But it feels like maybe have we seen the Palme d'Or winner already? I think so. Although saying that, I've been here before when something very unexpected and not certainly not the critical darling right. has ended up winning so you can never second guess the can jury mm. there is still i think like six competition films to screen mm. from 19 overall or something so or maybe it's 20 with the tarantino which was added a bit late right. but it does feel like the festival's winding down slightly now i think that i'd be very surprised you know xavier dolan has his fans but i think he's not been on his mm. best form recently Arnaud Desplechon is is great. Lover for a day, which I think is the last thing he had here, was was sublime. But this would be something to pull off, mm -hmm. topping either of the films that we saw yesterday. Or Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Pain and Glory seems to be a critic's favourite as well. The Pedro Almodovar film feels like those are the the, the consensus are forming around those films. Really, mm. it would be very exciting to see if they come out the other end with a few prizes at the end of the week. So Adam, food corner as always, on, on, on these dispatches. We've tackled pizza, pasta, maybe finer dining. One thing we've not talked about is breakfast. Which is probably the most important meal mm -hmm. here because you, you're you getting up every day pretty early. You need something to fuel you through the three or four, sometimes five films you're going to see. So, yeah, we've got a few local local spots here. Mm. There's uh, a good place on the corner that you can get a good espresso and... A double espresso. Double espresso, required, usually. Yeah. And there's good pastry selection. I think we, we were having this conversation about the difference between what I would know as a kind of cravat suisse, which is yes. a sort of rolled, quite a long slab of pastry with chocolate and, and kind of cream in it. Mm -hmm. We've heard it's... A torsade, a torsade also, someplace. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, you know, neither is a 
anywhere near fluent in French, are we? But when we try our hand going in and ordering, and then you realise that the thing you want is called something different in different patisseries, it's quite embarrassing and awkward. But yeah, we've had cravat suisse torsade. I know it is a chocolate twist if you go down to your local supermarket in London, but uh, that is the, the place on the corner. There's a pretty considerable one that, that really gets you through. It's like half a foot long. You can't. You can't. <laughs> I struggle to eat it in one sitting, but. It's good. It's like a euro as well. It's such good value. It is good value. And then double espresso is very important. Anyway, that's breakfast. We should probably crack on with the day now, shouldn't we? I think there's a ferry just sounding in the background, which is probably not, not for us. but It's going to take us on to the today's films. We'll report back tomorrow with more takes from the Quasette. But for now, Adam, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's Michael Leder here signing off from the Little White Lies flat for Truth and Movies in Cannes, presented by 7 Digital. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.